The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the original series episode, Tomorrow is Yesterday. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hey, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hey, Father Cory. How's it going? Folks, remember to like The Secrets of Star Trek wherever you find us, like on Facebook at facebook.com slash StarQuest Media. Retweet us where we are on Twitter at SQPN, and leave us comments where you find us. We love to hear from you. I want to tell you, oh, actually, uh, yes, I want to tell you, about, I got my notes all messed up. I want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network you are sure to enjoy called The Secrets of Star Wars. You, you can find that wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Star Wars. See, I'm on autopilot sometimes, and then I look at my script and I'm like, where is my note? So anyway, uh, but today we're talking about this original series first season episode. Tomorrow is yesterday. And Jimmy, can you give us a recap of what happens? I can. This week, the Enterprise has been thrown back in time to the 1960s by an encounter with a black hole, and the Air Force dispatches a pilot to intercept them as a UFO, but the tractor beam crushes his airplane and they're forced to bring him on board. Initially, they plan not to return him since he's seen what the future is like, but Spock learns that he will have a son who is pivotal to a future space mission, so they have to send him back. To do this, they need to make it so no one will believe his story. So they steal the audio and video recordings of the UFO encounter. In the process, they also accidentally beam up an Air Force sergeant. Spock and Scotty develop a plan to throw themselves back to the future by slingshotting around the sun. As they do so, they go backwards in time. And they then beam, then they start moving forwards in time again. And they beam the pilot and the sergeant back to where they came from at the appropriate times before successfully returning the Enterprise to its own century. The end. So, uh, first impressions, Father Corey? Well, I, I, I kind of enjoyed this. I mean, it, it's, it's funny where in Star Trek, time travel has become a trope, but this was the first one. This was when they first started time travel. This is where we first got the slingshot maneuver around the sun, which we later see in, you know, the search for whales and things like that. So, mm -hmm. uh, this is kind of where they set the, the pattern that they would follow later with other stories like this. And I, I kind of enjoyed it. Of course, I, I got a kick out of the, you know, the 1960s stock Air Force footage and the Air Force uniforms, kind of. Um, <laughs> they, they were close, but not quite, you know, stuff like that. But it was a, uh, no, it was, it was, it was an enjoyable story. It really was. It was actually pretty decent for the yeah. first time travel story of Star Trek. How about you, Jimmy? Overall? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, it's written by DC Fontana. So, yes. of course, it's going to be good based on a story idea by Gene Kuhn, if I recall correctly. And that's another positive sign. Uh, I thought it was very well done. Um, it is based there are a couple of pieces of lore about this episode that may be of interest. Now, one, you may have heard that when the Enterprise is in orbit around Earth, there was a plan to because Bonanza was another NBC show at the time. It was hugely popular. There was a plan to have them monitor a TV broadcast of Bonanza. Mm. 
That's true, but not for this episode. That's true mm. for the third season episode, Assignment Earth, which was Gene Doors, Gene Roddenberry's backdoor pilot for a Doctor Who ripoff. Right. And it was in that episode they were going to have the Enterprise monitor a monitor bonanza. <laughs> but it didn't end up happening. Also, uh, so that's a kind of a piece of lore that's connected really with a different episode. This episode seems to be based, at least now I don't have confirmation of this, but to my mind, it seems to be based on an actual UFO encounter that occurred in 1948 with uh, Captain Thomas Mantell, who was a pilot that in Kentucky. And when a UFO was reported on radar, they sent him up to take a look at it, and he went up to intercept, and he ended up dying. Mm -hmm. And um, his plane crashed, and he, he perished. And this idea of American Air Force plane goes up to intercept a UFO, and it gets crushed by the Alien tractor beam, it seems to me quite reminiscent of the Captain Thomas Mantell UFO incident. And in fact, there were quite a number of incidents in that time period, the late 40s, early 50s, if I remember correctly, where they were sending fighters up to intercept mm -hmm. unidentified flying objects, even over D.C., I think, at one point, over mm -hmm. Washington, D.C. Various places, yeah. Yeah, this is the Project Blue Book era of, of UFO things. So this would, would have been very... Uh, contemporary for for Star Trek to do this. So I, I yeah. think that's interesting. We still see also, it today. Now they just happen to be uh, Chinese weather balloons. <laughs> yes, right. Also notice that the um, that they don't have the term black hole yet. Mm -hmm. It hadn't become established yet. In the captain's log at the beginning of the episode, they refer to having encountered a black star. And um, that apparently was an early term for black hole, but they don't have it. It's it, it, the term, at least, has not penetrated the popular imaginations of Hollywood scriptwriters. Mm. You know, another term that you don't hear again after this episode is Yuspa. Yeah, Kirk refers to their authority coming from United Earth Space Probe Agency. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, after that, it really becomes, it's Starfleet and yeah. the Uni United Federation of Planets. Uh, yeah. Originally they, in first season episodes, they haven't worked out the concept of the Federation yet and Starfleet yet. And so they, they, they're from the United Earth and the, they're authorized by the United Earth Space Probe Agency, which they sometimes abbreviate to USPA. Mm -hmm. <laughs> USPA, ISPA, we all SPA. So you know, um, it was the yeah, it was kind of interesting that this was this was very much a, a bottle episode, you know, where it's all established sets, but it wasn't just Star Trek established sets. It was also the stock Desilu random corridor sets that you'd see like on Mission Impossible. Right. Because I yeah. know having watched a bunch of the Mission Impossible, I recognize some of those corridors. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, one thing it does, because the 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 episode was recorded, was, you know, taped. In 1967, mm -hmm. but the uh, it the, the Enterprise goes back to 1969. Right. In fact, July of 1969, and in fact, uh, the, a week before the launch of Apollo 11, and they predict it pretty good that Apollo 11 um, would happen on a 
Wednesday. They actually do say that it, you know, next Wednesday they pick up a radio broadcast. Apollo 11 yeah. will launch. They said it's 6.30 uh, in the morning, but it, or 6 o'clock in the morning, Apollo 11 launched at 9.30 in the morning. But, so, but pretty darn close and, to and, predict two and a half years in advance. And they didn't explicitly say it was 1969. Uh, well, okay, that's true. Because they just say, but we just know that it was the week before the week before. Right, right, right. So they st- the they, week before the first manned moon shot. Yep. That's right. So that's how we kind of in, in retrospect establish it. But when it aired, it would have been just sometime whenever they get around to launching a pole. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. true. That's true. Um, one, one of the things that happens early that's kind of interesting is when uh, so the pilot that's following them is. uh Captain Christopher, John mm-hmm. Christopher. He's also mm-hmm. listed as Major Christopher in some sources. But Captain Christopher is, uh, is you know, intercepting them. And he's coming up from below. And Spock says, that plane may be packing nukes. Yeah. And, and we could, it, it, if it fires at us with one of them, it could severely damage us and possibly prevent us from getting home. And so they, that's why they turn on the tractor beam. That's the motivating reason. And and then the tractor beam crushes the ship and they've the, the plane and they've got to beam Captain Christopher out, uh, which is the excuse to get him on board. Now, um, all that's paint by numbers writing. But um, while we did have nukes on planes in mm-hmm. the Cold War. I don't think we had them on fighters no. like this. No, no we, I mean, they were. Oh, we, we I, had I think them on the bombers. The F one hundred four was capable of carrying um, a tactical uh, nuke missile. They did have mi- missile. I don't think we ever. I don't all. think the U.S. ever developed the tactical missile. Um, now, maybe it could have done it as a bomber. I don't know. I don't know the F one hundred four. I'm familiar with it as one of the historical jets of the Air Force, but um, I don't think we ever developed like the sidewinder version of a nuke. Yeah, wow. and I'm pretty sure we didn't have them on planes that were based. I mean, they say that the Enterprise appeared over Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah, right. And I don't think we had nukes on planes flying over the U.S., fighter planes flying yeah. over the U.S. on a regular no. basis. We had them on bombers right. that we'd keep up at the dew line, you know, past the dew line for monitoring the Soviets, and then they could go over the pole mm. and drop the nukes in Russia. But but I, I yeah, Mr. We, Spock may have been misinformed due to errors created in the record system in the Third World War. A quick uh, Google says the F-104 was capable of carrying four different uh, nuclear bombs, okay. uh, the B- B-28, E-43, B-57 and B-61. And, and I, 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 I got to excuse it only because it's capable of carrying the records would have showed it's capable, but they don't know they're over. Nebraska or you know right. it's he's just saying it's capable of carrying mm-hmm. you know well, they do oh. eventually figure out where they're where they're at but right. um and we should mention at this time you know in the the late 60s the B52 was a brand new bomber yeah. and that absolutely did carry nukes um yeah. especially out of places like Minot North Dakota yeah there's actually quite a number of fighters that were capable of carrying uh nuclear bombs uh, nuclear but as far capable. as like an air to air to air capable nuke i I don't think we've ever developed that which is i mean we're kind of getting into the weeds but yeah this is this is also the era that gave us the sr-71 blackbird which was itself responsible for a lot of ufo sightings Mm -hmm. um it was developed at groom lake out at area 51 
um, as part of a kind of joint project with the CIA. They had two versions of the plane. The CIA version was known as the ox cart. And the Air Force version of the plane was known as the uh, RS-71 for reconnaissance and strike, because Mm. you want to do your reconnaissance before you do the strike. (laughs) But then Lyndon Johnson, who was president at the time, was giving a speech where he was announcing the the Air Force version. The the ox cart was still secret, Mm. Um, but he was announcing the Air Force Air Force version. And he accidentally inverted the letters and said SR-71 instead of RS-71. And when your commander in chief does that, (laughs) guess what? what? Its new name is SR-71. Go go get the uh, the enlisted guys out there with the the stencils and start fixing the the planes. (laughs) Still one of the greatest, but but still one of the greatest jets ever. Oh, yeah. The SR-71. Still one of my favorites. And and yeah, someone could quip that Lyndon Johnson was kind of a strike first and reconnaissance later guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> strike first, ask questions later. So uh, this is the first time we see Earth in this series of uh, the mm-hmm. original series, which is in, in another interesting uh, first for this episode. Um, also, you know, as the first time travel episode, Kirk, when they beam Captain Christopher aboard, Kirk goes to meet him in the transporter room. He's remarkably blasé about this, yeah. this guy from the past. And hey, have a look around, you know, see what there is mm-hmm. to see. See how amazing the future is going to be. Well, they, well they, and you, that I guess is suggestive of they haven't. I mean, it's true for off screen reasons as well. But on yep. screen, they're not used to time travel yet. They haven't yeah. developed protocols for how to handle it. Right. Well, and they, they, he does do kind of the we'll, tell, we'll explain more later. You know, as they're standing in the transporter room and yeah. Captain Christopher is. You know, asking all these questions, and we'll explain more later. We'll explain more later. But hey, let's let's give you a tour of the you know most secret, <laughs> important part of the ship by going up to the bridge and having you know her give you a tour. You know, a guided <laughs> tour. Uh, should mention, by the way, Jimmy, you mentioned where he was mentioned as Major Christopher. That's because the closing credits have him as Major Christopher. Mm-hmm. Although his insignia is Captain, he has the two bars of Captain on his shoulder. Yep. Yeah. Um. As as he and Kirk are heading to the bridge. This is a very 1960s moment. They pass a female crewman in the corridor and he does a double take. And then we get the jazzy hubba hubba trumpets play, mm-hmm. um, you know, wah, 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 you know, that oh, sort of I thing. Didn't notice the trumpets, but, but OK, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that typical 60s like, wow, this what a funny moment to see a, a woman aboard um, sort of thing. That was uh, and and he is impressed when Kirk says that she's a crewman. Um, and we're a combined, sir. He asks, starts to ask about your branch of the service. Right. And Kirk explains we're a combined service, not in the sense of being co-ed, which they are, but they, they, they have elements of Air Force, Space Force, Marines, all of that goes into Starfleet. That's right. Exactly. So, uh, we do get that moment where Spock has to explain the uh, time paradox to Kirk that. Oh, whoa, whoa. we've, we've, in that same scene, Kirk oh, also says meets- this is, this is one of 12 ships like it in the fleet, mm-hmm. which is uh, significant, a bit of Star Trek, you know, Starfleet lore. And then, of course, when he meets Spock on the bridge, he's in the process. Captain Christopher is in the process of saying, I, uh, I've never believed in little green men. And Mr. Spock says, Neither do neither have I. <laughs> and and the problem is Spock doesn't look alien enough mm. to really sell that line. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, he looks distinctive, but he also looks pretty darn human. And part of me is also like, but Mr. Spock, Journey to Babel, those aliens and Bolians. And wait, what do you mean you don't believe in little green men? <laughs> so I'm mean, making a joke, which is you know, interesting for Spock. That is a, uh, a, a nice little moment there. Um, yeah, I gather that Spock, the makeup for for Leonard Nimoy was supposed to be more distinctively green. But when they filmed it, it just didn't come across as like he's supposed to have more of a green tint to his skin. Originally, it was meant to be red, but they changed that. Yeah, yeah. And he just looks like, okay, Chinese guy with with elf ears and arch eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even notice that he was meant. I mean, of course, I was watching poor color televisions in the early 1970s mm. and I didn't even realize it's it, 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 it was I it, it first encountered the fact, oh, his skin tone is different than yeah. Captain right. Kirk's. And I didn't notice that originally when I was and, a kid. And it really doesn't even today show up as that much different. Yeah. Um, they really could have done it different. And that, that's one thing I comment kind of joked about the, the Air Force uniforms. You look at the the blues uniform, the dress uniform. And that was a very different blue than even the historical Air Force uniforms were. And I, I know that was making up for the discrepancies in color from primitive uh, technology, primitive yeah, color television. technology. Yeah. They had to do different, you know, and that's, that's why there's the strange colors in the Enterprise and everything like that is they wanted to show up a certain way on the old TVs mm-hmm. that we can't really appreciate today with our, you know, Millions of colors, high definition, 4K <laughs> televisions. Oh, kids, you yeah. don't know how good you have it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For example, just touching back on the skin tone issue, it was always obvious to me that that George Takei as Sulu was Asian. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a, a, a just an Asian skin tone, but Spock's makeup was yeah. Not that significant. He yeah. he didn't look that when I look close at a at a version of it today, it's like, okay, that's not meant to be a human skin tone, but it's still so close to Caucasian that it's hard mm-hmm. to tell unless it's been pointed out. Right. Right. And that's actually one thing on Enterprise with, with uh Paul. They did try to make her skin tone different and you could kind of tell it was mm-hmm. different. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't a little bit. That. I just thought she's got a suntan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's there, there was there was I mean it's a darker skin tone, but it it is I didn't kind of notice that it was it's meant to look a little bit different. They eventually make well, mo- many of the Vulcans look, you know, Semitic or Arabic, you know, from mm-hmm. from that. And whereas like the TOS Klingons were always swarthy, you know, the Mediterranean look to them and yep. so but uh, yeah, they only Or just black guys. Yeah, or, or <laughs> for the ones some... they didn't want to spend makeup money on. That's true. That's true. Um, so I mentioned the, the time paradox and Spock's explanation and the fact that Christopher can't go back. Um, <laughs> he initially says, well, he's unimportant to history, <laughs> which is like, ouch. I, 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 know, I love I love I love the way Spock gets handled in this episode, because at first he's like, we can't send this captain. We cannot send this guy back. He he knows too much. He could he could manipulate if he was unscrupulous. He could manipulate industries and even nations and thwart our future from coming about. And even if he doesn't, he could let the info slip to someone who would do that. So we can't send him back. And he's not consequential to history. I checked. And, yeah. <laughs> and and then when they're explaining this to Captain Christopher in Kirk's quarters. Um, he's objecting and saying, but I have a wife and two children. What about them? 
And at that moment, Spock looks profoundly uncomfortable. <laughs> and he realizes he has not checked on the children. And right. they don't drag it out. The very next scene, Spock is back and his captain, I made a miscalculation. I failed to check on his children. And guess what? One of them is pivotal to history. Yeah. And isn't born yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that was uh, that was good. Um, I like that. Yeah, it was weird that he didn't look at the descendants. Uh, the, the, the interesting omission on Spock's part. Speaking of that meeting in the captain's quarters. I, I just was, love that look of him being on. The camera cuts to him. Yeah. And Leonard Nimoy is just looking really uncomfortable at that moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually nice, subtle writing and direction there. Yes. You know, they yeah. don't come right out and say There's it. a lot That's, of that in this episode. Yeah. There really is. Yep. Uh, they had this odd subplot about the computer. Oh, core. yeah. Being uh, the 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 personality being like made flirty with yeah. Nico so, Barrett as the first first time as the computer voice. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right. Captain Kirk says that they or Spock says that they and Captain Kirk together kind of say they went to a planet called Signet Four for a computer overhaul. It's a female dominated society. They thought our per- our computer didn't have a personality, so they gave it one. And it's a flirty female personality that's constantly trying to flirt with Kirk. <laughs> I want that per- flirty f- female personality put in my Alexa. That would be fun. Uh, <laughs> I, like the way, no. I like that where at the end, at the end of it, he says, you know, record that we need to take this in for overhaul or replacement. Compute? Computed. <laughs> yeah, very, very pouty. No, but, but, but tearful, like computed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I do not want a flirty Alexa. Um, I, it, it, it says too much unnecessary stuff to me already. I'm always trying to find <laughs> commands to shut down unnecessary things that it says. No kidding. Yes. That, that was kind of, true. that was, I thought that was kind of a fun subplot of, you know. Yeah. It was, it was interesting. There was enough time to take, to, to add that in and that, yeah. yeah, it didn't detract from anything. And it wasn't, it wasn't offensive or it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it didn't drag out the plot line by any stretch of the imagination. And and they let the computer kind of get the last word because at the very end of the episode, even though he's threatened to have it dismantled if it keeps calling him dear, yeah. um, when they finally get back to their own century and they're talking to Starfleet, the computer breaks in and says, record ship arrival, dear. <laughs> yeah. like the next to last thing in the episode. That's right. That is right. So um, speaking of uh, Captain Christopher's son, uh, eventual son being uh, being pivotal, um, if his son was to be born sometime within the next 10 years after the episode, so you know, between 69 and 79, logically, he'd be in his 50s about now, maybe 40s, mm-hmm. which means that the Saturn mission that he was no, supposed to lead would be would, in his 40s now. If he was born in 69, he'd be in his 50s. I yes, know that because I yes. was born in 68. <laughs> so yeah. he would be about my age. Um, mm-hmm. If he was born within the next 10 years, then he'd be in his 40s. And um, so that mission to Saturn would, you know, within the Star Trek timeline would be sometime around 2010, you know, 2010 or so, or, you know, maybe now if he was 40. Uh, so now when, when was funny. the, when we did the, the Picard season two, when was that set? Oh, that was 2020. No, 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 that was 24. Oh, that's right. It was just a couple of years from. Yeah. So was that Captain Christopher's son uh, in charge of that mission? Well, that was a Jupiter mission. That was Jupiter. Okay. So it was the Picard. The Rene Picard was the one in charge of the Jupiter mission. They should have made it where 
she and Christopher's son were on that. Like, or they least, just should have thrown that mm-hmm. in there. That's, I was trying to remember if there was any mention of uh, uh, Christopher. Sean Jeffrey Christopher. Yeah, I was yeah. trying to remember Sounds if there was any mention during that season. I don't think there was. It would have been cool, you know, kind mm-hmm. of look back and go, oh, wait. That would have yeah. Terry Metalis would have done it. <laughs> oh, yeah. We would have seen him on screen. Terry yes. Metalis would have done a completely different season yes. two of Picard. He would have. Um, so I, it's this fun uh, couple of scenes where Kirk and Sulu wandering around the uh, Air Force Base in Omaha looking for evidence. That was kind of fun. They've, they've got a sonic screwdriver. Yeah, yes, they, they, do. They, they, they come to a locked door and Sulu hands Kirk a device and it goes, woo, and the door opens. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> should, we should mention, you know, again, you know, for, for those of us, you know, Air Force geeks, uh, there is a base in, in Omaha. It's called Offit. It's the headquarters of SAC Strategic Air Command and was at this time as well. Uh, but this was an unnamed base that they were at. But it would be logical. Defense Command. Yeah. It would be logical that that stuff would show up. They'd be sent to Offit Air Force Base yep. for that purpose. Um, uh, they uh, end up having to escape as the uh, the air police show up and Kirk gets into a nice Donnybrook with the three of them. That was fun. Yeah, he comes yeah. out. So Sulu is in the back room with all the film they're stealing and they're about to beam up. But Kirk comes out to check. And when he realizes the the MPs are 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 here. He pulls the door shut behind him and then attacks. <laughs> yes. He just launches into these guys. No conversation, no explanations. It's just, we've got to get our five minutes of action into this episode. So <laughs> Kirk was... just attacks. Classic in, Kirk. <laughs> in order to give Sulu time to beam out. Yep. Including the full body where he throws his whole body yeah. at him. I love yeah. that. That was awesome. You don't see that anymore. Uh, and the whole reason he couldn't beam out, but that Sulu could, was because his communicator, he'd already lost his communicator when the uh, previous sergeant beamed up. Sergeant yeah. got beamed out, which was a funny little moment. Which, which is a nice bit of writing. Notice how they set up why he can't just beam out. Mm-hmm. And that makes it harder for them to find him because he doesn't have a communicator. So they can't say, where's my captain's iPhone and locate him. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's nicely set up. It's nicely plotted. You have these different things folding into consequences down the line. Yeah. In this episode. And we also have a nice line. Now, at this point, as we've mentioned on the show before, they hadn't determined what century the Star Trek is occurring in. So you have inconsistencies. It was eventually established. It's 300 years ahead of us. Right. But like in the Squire of Gothos episode, Trelane implies it's like 800 years and in our future. And in this episode, we have a line where the um, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Fellini is interrogating Kirk and Kirk is being flippant in his replies. Mm-hmm. And Fellini says, I'm going to lock you up for 200 years. And Kirk says, that sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. But eventually it would be 300. That was a good line. I like that. Yeah. Uh, also, as the uh, one of the things you often have in these time travel episodes is somebody playing around with a phaser mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the the person from the future getting a little uncomfortable with it. I mean, we had that in Picard season two. We've had that yep. in DS9 with the uh, with the time travel there. So, yeah. And, and he's like, um, be careful with that. You might take out half the base yeah. <laughs> with that. Um, so the Christopher is an interesting figure because. You know, he still has his duty. And at one point he does try to escape from mm-hmm, the ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't doesn't go well for him, of course. Um, but there there is that that 
for one thing, they're letting him wander, kind of wander around on his own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, bad idea. Uh, but he wants to get back to his family, and he does. He does want you know to. Well, especially to, once he finds out that he's got a son. Yes, I eventually. I want to know what his plan is when he tries to escape because they've given him quarters on the Enterprise, which we never see. Yeah. But he's he's Kirk phones him in his quarters and he's not there. And so he gets on the intercom and says, Captain Christopher is not in his quarters. Put someone outside the transporter room. It's like, OK, dude, what was your plan? You know, I mean, you're going to go to the transporter room and you get into the transporter room. And then what happens in your ideal scenario? You know, well, how do you how you don't know how to work this piece of technology? Wasn't Kyle in there, Transporter Chief Kyle? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, he, so, he says to him, I'm going to get on this thing and you're going to you know, make it do it. You know, you're going to send me down. You're going to be yeah, me down. But I mean, and there's that's his plan. His plan was <laughs> if, if you don't do it, I shoot you. And then, oh, well, <laughs> there's there's so much that's wrong with that plan, especially yeah. if in light of what we later what is later established that the transporter can do. Yeah. Um. It's like, OK, I'm going to beam you now and you're in a security cell. By the way, notice notice they've got food dispensers in yep. the transporter room. Now, originally they were going to take him to the mess hall for this, but they didn't have the time and money. And so they just put the the food dispensers in the transporter room. But think about that. Mm-hmm. This is where people come on the ship and leave the ship. And you put food dispensers right there. And you got a guy stationed there all day with nothing to do but wait for people to show up. Um, this is not the most dietetically sound plan. <laughs> well, I figured, yeah. you know, you get up, you be up to the ship, you haven't eaten in a while, you can grab a snack before you head up to the bridge. Take some snacks with you on your away mission. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Set up I a mean, banquet right there for dignitaries. If you want to retcon it, you could make them replicators. They weren't replicators at the time. They were food dispensers. Right. But uh, but if they were replicators, that's where you get your equipment for your whatever mission. But that we never see them using because we never see yeah. them again. But exactly. Yeah. The, the other thing is interesting is, is, you know, so far we've seen food was cubes, you know, that whole futuristic food thing. But here we get a nice bowl of soup, a uh, bowl yep. of chicken soup that the the sergeant gets his marvel at. Um, so. They Spock comes up with a new plan. We need to slingshot, uh, you know, around the sun, um, and to, and you know, we, we're going to go back in time and then slingshot forward in time. And- yeah. So okay. <laughs> um, now, uh, prescinding from the fact that you can't use a slingshot effect to go back in time, mm-hmm. Spock apparently is unfamiliar with Einsteinian physics because <laughs> there's a very simple solution to how to get back to your own time. You fly sublight, but close to light. You go way out and then you come way back and it's your own time. No fuss, no muss. <laughs> if time dilation will slow down time on the ship and you won't experience, it, depending on how, how arbitrarily close you get to the speed of light, you won't experience any significant time delay and you'll be right back in your own time. You don't need to use slingshot effects or black stars or any tech other than what you've already got just relativistic speeds and you're back in your own century that could have yeah, worked the, the whole i mean the whole premise of the episode though is the slingshot effect caused them to go back in time so they had to stick yeah. with that and and this is the the 
the whole thing that we see, like you mentioned in the 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 search for whales, a voyage home, and it it just like in that one, we have a moment where Spock is standing there and McCoy, you know, is like, well, you know, what are you doing? And Spock's like, I'm I'm doing my calculations right now in my head, the time calculations. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was a nice. Um, that was, I love the way McCoy puts it in this too. Is like, should you be working on this? I am, Doctor. <laughs> yes, exactly. And McCoy just looks at him like, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're going to, uh, you know, by because they're going to be able to go back in time a bit, they're going to be able to drop off Captain Christopher and the, the sergeant. Guard. Yeah, yeah. Which they, they're glossing over a lot here. Yeah, yeah, there's they. What they show us on screen is they go back, so they're they're traveling forward through time again, and they get up to the point. Where um, where they originally were intercepted by Captain Christopher. Mm-hmm. So you've got Captain Christopher is sitting in his plane, and then the transporter effect appears on him. Yep. And it's like, are they beaming him into his own body? Mm. What is going on here? Yeah, they and basically it, quantum leap him. That's yeah. what they do. <laughs> yeah, and he looks around startled. Once the transporter effect stops, Captain Christopher is like in his cockpit. He's looking around like, what is going on? And that would suggest he's got a memory of where he just was. And he's surprised to be back in his plane now, even though that's what the plan was. But he then, when in talking to the talking to the people on the radio, seems not to remember Mm -hmm. what he experienced and that could be and so i don't know what to make of this we see something similar that's equally vague when they get a little further along to where they transported up the guard Mm -hmm. and he's not in the same location as as he was he's out in the hallway as opposed Mm -hmm. to in a room with kirk and sulu right but he's in a hallway and he stops and the transporter effect appears over him and then he comes over to a door and looks through it suspiciously like he does remember or doesn't. And it's just confusing. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure what we're supposed to they, make of this. They, mm. they had a line about how if they do this right, that it will happen at the moment that they that the moment that they were originally beamed up or just before just before the moment they were beamed up. Excuse me. And that they wouldn't, there wouldn't be anything there for them to remember because they'll have changed it so that the Enterprise wasn't actually there when the, the ship, when the, the fighter ship or fighter plane got to that point. And so Christopher wouldn't remember any of it. Yeah. And that the guard wouldn't remember it because Sulu and Kirk weren't in the room that the guard was looking into. And that's, that's how they explained it on the episode, nonsense. but that doesn't make sense because yeah. if they beamed Christopher to just before he, encountered the enterprise the enterprise would still be there from the first time they went through that time mm-hmm. <laughs> right and then the same thing with the guard the guard would still look in the you know so it it they kind of kind of that was kind of a hand wavium of well because we've changed or we've gone back in time and then forward we've changed time so this didn't actually happen yeah this this it it, it it's <laughs> it's poor this aspect it's a fun episode but this aspect of the of it is poor time travel writing this is not how time travel right. would work and they had no expectation that their memories would be erased either. I mean, that's just, no. that they could have just been beaming back with their full memories. No evidence of the events. So that might have been an, uh, certainly enough. Yeah, that was enough. But, I mean, if, if you could change the time for Captain Christopher, where he doesn't actually encounter the Enterprise, then yeah, that means the mm-hmm. whole thing with the 
stealing the tapes off of the computer and the. Well, in fact, but it would never happen either. That would have happened either. You could have just beamed him back and the whole thing would have been averted. But the rigmarole of we've we've got to get all that evidence. Uh, okay, none of that was necessary. None of that would have <laughs> yeah. been necessary. And you just beamed him, assuming you didn't kill him by beaming yeah. him into himself. Um, the because you know that would be really bad. Yeah, <laughs> <if> you did <laughs> you. <laughs> the but assuming you didn't kill him by beaming him into himself, you just beamed in somebody who has memories that experienced all of this. Yeah, yeah. just like you did when you get back to the twenty third century, you're going to remember all this. It didn't affect your memories. It's not going to affect his. Yeah, it's yeah, and you you made a good point too. But with like, with the slingshot, none of that stuff that happened on the airbase was at all necessary. Like they didn't have to gather yeah. up that evidence because mm-hmm. they were you know, undoing things or whatever. They were rewriting time, but yeah, before they rewrote it, they plopped a guy who had memories of the original timeline down Mm -hmm. in the middle of it. (laughs) Exactly. Um, uh, One thing that continues to bother me too, is they get like the the speeds involved here. You know, we're going warp factor nine. Um, You have time to get into your space suit, your flight suit and wander down to the transporter. We'll get you there eventually. Like, no, you're, it should be instantaneous. Uh, But you know, it's well, they, they said something like you got 15 minutes or something like that to get ready or, you know, it, but like going if it takes 15 minutes to get from Earth to the sun at War Factor nine, like Vulcan is going to be literally the planet between Mercury and the sun. Yeah, <laughs> there's been the, the mythology is all about. Yeah, it, I, I do like one of the things they do that kind of resonates with the u- ufology of the time, mm-hmm. which is um, when uh, at one point when they're talking about stealing the evidence. Captain Christopher says, so you're going to make me out to be a liar. And, and, and they, and Spock says, no, just one of the thousands of people who thought they saw a UFO. Mm-hmm. And he says it like, it's a perfectly reasonable thing. And I, I like that nod to the, to the audience that it's okay to think you've seen a UFO. It doesn't mean you're crazy or weird or anything like that. You just saw something and you're not sure what it was. Well, and it's in fact, has come out in the last couple of years that hundreds of military pilots, Air Force and Navy and mm-hmm. Marine have seen unidentified Something. aerial phenomena <laughs> in the skies that cannot be explained by by conventional means. And so, yeah. you know, that's a thing that happens. Oh, I also wanted to mention we have a nice creative use of the transporter here um, because when they beam down to get Kirk, uh, Christopher insists on coming with. Mm-hmm. And they they break into Fellini's office and they stun everybody. And Spock goes back into Fellini's office. And it's at this moment that Christopher makes another escape attempt. It's like, you don't yeah. got to bring me back. I'm back now. I'm staying. You guys split. And then Spock appears in the corridor outside of yep. the front office and walks up behind Christopher and nerf pinches him. And so what obviously happened, he went into Fellini's office. He suspected what was going to happen. He had them beam him out into the hallway and he just came back in. And it's like, okay, that's a nice, clever, tactical use of the transporter. Right. Mm -hmm. Without being obvious about it, without like making a big deal. He just did it. Yeah. Admittedly, I I didn't think quite that that deep. I just figured there was another door into the office from the hallway. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it sounds better, but but I just like. That's possible, too. 
Um, on, on the other hand, Spock is talking about we need to uh, we need to get out of the sun's magnetic radiation. <laughs> it's like, OK, that's not what drives a slingshot effect. It's not no. magnetic. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, the uh, actor who plays Captain Christopher Roger Perry apparently liked his Starfleet uniform so much he wanted to take it home. And DeForest Kelly told him they frown on that. But, you know, if you if you just slide it into your bag, nobody's going to say anything. And he decided not to do it after all. And then years later, when Star Trek was Star Trek, Mm -hmm. he regretted that was a a nice little. Well, they they, they gave him a uniform that was the captain band too. the Mm -hmm. or the O3 band would have been lieutenant. Lieutenant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Air Force lieutenant equivalent. Um, well, Air Force captain. Sorry, Air yeah, Force captain. Navy, Navy lieutenant, lieutenant is Air Force captain. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so that they, was a they nice gave touch. Him a, they gave him the proper rank insignia on the uniform, even. Mm. That was a that was a nice touch. There's also a little bit of error in, I guess, depending on what you mean, where, you know, as they're flying forward through time, they get to or are about to actually maybe they're about to go back in time. But they are, they've got Christopher on the bridge and he's still in his Starfleet uniform. And the, oh, and Kirk refers to them having a quartermaster on the ship. That's how he got the uniform. He tells Mr. Spock, have the quartermaster issue him something better than the flight suit he was wearing when we beamed him up. But he's there on the bridge at the end and he's reflecting on the fact that they're in space. And Kirk says, you made it here ahead. He said, I tried out for the program Mm -hmm. and i I didn't have what they wanted so i i didn't get to be part of the space program and kirk says well you made it here ahead of all of them except the mercury program and the gemini program and the previous apollo tests and all of the soviet programs um yeah you made it here ahead of all of them well i i will Say that at least with the the uh, remastered edition, I can't. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the original footage was like, but in the remastered edition, right before he says that line, you see the moon come onto the view screen. Ah, uh, you don't in the original. Okay, yeah, I watched the original. So I, they corrected that on the they corrected that on the uh, okay. remastered where good. he's gone past the moon. So he did get up that. there. Yep, ahead of everyone. Okay, yep, that that's far. good. That's yep. good. Um, excellent. Uh, final thoughts, Father Corey. Nothing here. I, I like I said I enjoyed it. This was a, a fun episode. Again, there's there's a little bit of humor and camp in there, and and it was mm-hmm. it was very enjoyable. How about you, Jimmy? I don't uh, don't guess I have anything else to mention. It was a fun episode. I enjoyed it. Yep. I mean, as as one of the two episodes that that go to back to the sixties. I I enjoyed both of them a lot, and oh, I really like this one. The other is so much more casual. It's like we're in the '60s now for a mission of historical research. It's like, <laughs> really? <laughs> they approved that? <laughs> the, I guess the Department of Temporal Affairs. Uh, is like, yeah. <laughs> but there's a reason why they do, they dislike Kirk so much, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. man is a menace. all right so uh we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of star trek including father Stephen w carrie o christy r james m and charles s their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of star trek and all the shows at starquest and you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give and we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edited this episode. So that's it from us. What did you think of this ep- this original series episode, Tomorrow is Yesterday? You can let us know by commenting on the show at 
sqpn.com slash trek, our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, send an email to trek at sqpn.com, or visit our Discord community at sqpn.com slash Discord. You can also watch The Secrets of Star Trek on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash starquestmedia, where you should comment, like, and subscribe, and make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. We'll be back next time when, we, when we'll be discussing the animated series episode, Once Upon a Planet. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, the truth is, I'm a little green man from Alpha Centauri. Beautiful place. You gotta see it. 